This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Today's episode is my 100th episode since I started this podcast last June. I want to say thank you so much to all of you who listen. I truly appreciate you and I'm so grateful for your kind support. Today, my guest is Heather Caliendo of Book Club Chat. Heather was a guest for my 50th episode and I asked her to return for my 100th so we can talk about book club recommendations and some recent books we loved and then some books we didn't love quite as much. Heather loves to read and review various genres with a focus on contemporary fiction, historical fiction, mysteries and thrillers, and also select nonfiction and memoirs. With Book Club Chat, she has combined her love for reading fiction and her experience as a journalist to conduct reviews, author Q&As, and book club questions. Since starting in 2018, Book Club Chat has grown to over 5,000 visitors a day, and she loves connecting with readers and authors from all over the globe. While we were recording, there was some kind of hiccup with my mic, so I sound slightly different than I normally do. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Hi, Heather. How are you today? Hi, Cindy. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well also. I thought our last conversation was so fun and I made it my 50th episode. I'm glad you're back now for my 100th episode. We can just make this uh, every 50 episodes, you'll be on my podcast. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I had so much fun the first time, so I'm happy to come back anytime. Well, I'm thrilled you're here. And so today's episode is going to be a little bit different than our normal format. Instead of being an interview, we're going to just discuss some of our favorite book club selections, some of our favorite recent reads, and some books that did not resonate as well with us. So I'm kind of looking forward to that, something a little different. Yes, me too. So why don't you talk real quick before we start just a little bit about your site again, because that will factor into our book club discussion. Okay, great. Yes. So I run bookclubchat.com and it's a site dedicated to book clubs. And I focus on book reviews, book club questions, and book lists that are targeted all toward book clubs. Perfect. And so you and I are going to write an article together, or we're in the process of writing it about the books we're discussing. And then so the same day that this episode airs, the list will go live on your site. So that way people will can have both to look at. Yes, definitely. Yeah, very excited. Always love to work with you on articles and, of course, on the podcast as well. (laughs) Well, I always love to work with you, too, because you're one of my very first Bookstagram friends. Like when I joined Bookstagram, you were one of the first people I really connected with. And so it makes me happy that we've stayed in touch and we line up so many times on books, but occasionally we don't, which is fun because I enjoy seeing different people's thoughts on things I really liked. And even if they didn't like them, it's just interesting to see what other people have to say. Mm -hmm. I know, I know, definitely. And then learn about books too, that might not be on your radar and, and aspects like that. So yeah, I'm so happy, you know, we were able to connect through Instagram. It's kind of funny how how that all worked out. (laughs) You know, you don't expect to make, you know, real life friends from it. So it's definitely pretty neat. It is funny. And I always laugh because I spent years telling my children, you can't befriend people 
you know, digitally or online, it's not safe. And then I have so many friends I've now made that way. But, you know, I think the world has changed a little. And once you're an adult, you have a lot easier time filtering some of that out, too. Yes, very true. (laughs) Well, why don't we start out with talking about the books that we each think would be book club selections? Why don't we go back and forth? So you start on your first one, then I'll tell mine, and we'll just go back and forth till we get to the end of our book club lists. Definitely. Okay. So I recently read The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna, and it was one that I put on my, I have a big must-read book club list that I do every year where I try to go pretty much until the summer about books that I think will be really good picks for book clubs. And so I I figured Kristen Hanna would be a great one. And I just, I, I really, really enjoyed that one more so than I did with The Great Alone. Not as much as The Nightingale. I think The Nightingale is still my favorite of hers, but I thought that that was just such a well done book. And there's just so much you can talk about with it from the historical component to just the character's journey. So I think that's a really, really solid one for book clubs. It's so funny that you picked that one first, because when I was making my list, I particularly didn't include it because I figured you would. I knew you had liked it and it was on your website. So I loved it too. I thought it was a great book and my picks of hers line up exactly the same way as yours. The Nightingale was my favorite. I actually didn't really like The Great Alone. And then I really liked The Four Winds. It would definitely be my second there. But there is so much to discuss. And even though it's a period of time that people are familiar with, they're not familiar with the like day-to-day details. They're just familiar with the fact that the Dust Bowl happened and all these people migrated. Definitely. And you know, I think most people's, I guess, maybe introduction is The Graves of Wrath. And so it was good to have kind of just a different viewpoint of it. it what I like too with it, was that it wasn't so much the journey of going to California, but when they actually were there in California and the reality of what it was, where you know they really promised that it was going to be this. I think what did they say? The land of milk and honey, and you know all, all this prosperity, and they get there and it's completely different. So I was glad with that because I was a little. Is this going to be another journey one? You know, because the Great Wrath really was all about the journey. So um, I thought that she did really well with that, and it made me want to read more about it. At, you know, I went to school in, in Oklahoma, and we didn't really talk about it in, in Oklahoma history, which I think is <laughs> kind of a, a disappointment there, because I, I would think I should have learned more about it. Anyway, so that's, that's what I always love about fiction, especially historical fiction. It really makes you want to learn more about a certain topic. I agree completely. And I like that she focused on what happened in Texas ahead of time. And then, like you said, once they got to California. I just thought it was very well done. Not a happy book, but very well done. Oh, yes. The ending really, really got to me. I think all of Chris and Hannah's books make me cry. <laughs> I, think it's just, I just know it's going to happen. So my first selection is another book that's been on your site, and it's The Book of Lost Names by Kristen Harmel. And it's a World War II story about some foragers who realize that as these Jewish children are being taken to safety and taken in by Christian families, that there will be no way for them to ever look back and know what their original names were to try to help find their family. So they create this book of lost names where they record in secret these children's names. And I just thought it was a beautiful story, so well done. Again, you know, a glimpse into a part of World War II that I was not familiar with. And I just, I I literally, I think I read it in one night. I, I did too. I read it in one night as well. Yes. Oh gosh. It was really, really well done. And I ended up researching about the topic afterwards as well. So yes, I think this is another really, as you mentioned, fantastic pick for book clothes. There's just so much to talk about with it. And you know, we, we talked about this before when I was on your previous episode that the big thing with book clubs is, uh, you know, not every book's a book club book. <laughs> so um, that's what's great about the ones that we select is ones where you could just talk about it for an hour plus really. So yeah, that one was really well done. I agree, because while 
There are some books that I love. Trying to think of an, a way to spend an entire hour talking about them is just not possible. So each and every one of the ones we have selected would be ones that you could really get down and dirty and have a great in-depth conversation. And then there's still more to think about when you're finished. Mm-hmm, definitely. So my next pick is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And uh, this is a another book that is just, I, I'm getting a lot of traffic for. So I think this is probably going to be one of those that's going to be popular for the next couple of years. I, I got this from, from Book of the Month and I, I read it the day I got it. I think I read this all the way through, which is not really an easy book to do, but I just couldn't put it down. I mean, the writing is just incredible and the story was so unique and original. And I mean, it's sad, it's impactful, and it's a really interesting perspective on, on race and identity and home. And it's just one of those where I I can definitely see why it's lasting. It's going to have a lasting impact. And also, I believe HBO is going to make a miniseries on it. Um, Might might have to double check on that. But I know there's at least going to be some kind of film TV version of it. And I, I just can't wait to see that as well. Oh, that's great. I had not heard that. I just love all of these books that are being made into either miniseries or movies. It's really fun to see that. I think it increases the life of the book. But also, it just brings some of these great stories to the screen. Yeah, definitely. And I think it also helps introduce an audience that might not normally read the book and that they want to probably go read it as well. Because I always pay attention to the New York Times bestseller just to kind of see what people are, I guess, maybe a big group of people are reading. It's kind of a good barometer. And uh, it's funny, it really is what's on Netflix, what's on, you know, it's on HBO, what's on, uh, you know, whatever other streaming service, you know, Apple Plus. And because I noticed that the Firefly Lane of Chris and Hannah has been up, been up there and it's an older book. So um, I think that's great that when they do turn these books into series and people end up reading the book too. Because, you know, with you and I, we always read the books first. <laughs> so we're kind of on the reverse of it, but it's good to see people embracing the books after they see the film version. I agree completely. And I really enjoyed The Vanishing Half too. I thought it was a beautiful story, sad, but beautiful. And I am glad to see that it has continued to have a, a long life and popularity. I loved her first book, The Mothers. Have you read it? I haven't, but I will definitely add that to the list. Okay, so yeah, I'll have to do that because yeah, I haven't read that one yet. It's really good. Well, my next pick is Surviving Savannah by Patty Callahan. And it is about a true story. I mean, her book is historical fiction, but it is about a true event, the sinking of the steamship Pulaski in the early 1800s. And so they call it the Titanic of the South because so many lives were lost and they had a similar lifeboat issue, which kind of surprised me after I read it because I thought, how did the Titanic happen after this steamship had gone down and there had been such a loss of life due to no lifeboats? When Patty started writing it, she they hit, the ship had not been located. And three weeks into her research, when she began to kind of pull together everything, a company actually found the steamship Pulaski on the bottom of the ocean. So she has kind of this interesting story to tell about that and the artifacts they brought up. And so she stays close to the true story, but changes some characters' names. But she does honor all of the people that were on the boat, you know, list them at the end, the people that died. And I just thought it's a fantastic story. There's so much in it that people will want to talk about, and it would just make the perfect book club selection. That's so good to know. I, I actually got sent that that novel and I have not read it yet. So I uh, maybe I'll, I'll pick that one up next. Uh, I wasn't familiar with it either. So that sounds really, really interesting. So I, I definitely could see that being a really fantastic book club choice as well. I think that there had been some rumors that there was gold or silver on the ship. So people had been looking for it for a long time. 
And I don't know, I should know this, but I don't know whether they found gold or silver, but they found all sorts of belongings because people would travel from Savannah up to Baltimore for the summer. And it was quicker than traveling by land. And they would bring all their silver and sometimes their dishes and a lot of their belongings with them because they were going to be summering for the whole entire summer in Baltimore. So they had a lot of items with them. So when the ship went down, I think people felt that there might be some treasure to be found. And so people had been hunting for it for a while. Okay, wow. That's really interesting. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm excited to check that one out. See, it's is why you're my go-to. <laughs> <laughs> and vice versa. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then, so my next one is a little different where, so I feel that a lot of times with book club picks, they're a little more serious. You know, the, the ones that we've mentioned are, are obviously all a little more serious. Some of them are even more intense. But this next one is a little more lighthearted. Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. I had not read any of his novels previously to reading Ancient People. And it's one of those where it's almost hard to describe what it's about because it's just so so random and out there. But it's pretty much where um, people are looking at a, I believe they're looking at an apartment and there's a robbery, but it's not what you expect. And then you really get to just know both the people being held hostage and also the person is committing the crime. But it's it's very comedic. It's not what you expect. I remember reading the synopsis thinking, how is this going to be a funny story? This sounds so bizarre. And it is bizarre. And it is funny. But it's also very, it has a lot about, I think, you know, seeing people's humanity and also realizing people are all kind of having their struggles and everyone's trying to do what they can to get past it. And so it's it's just a really good story where you finish it and you just kind of feel good when you finish it. Still serious tones and messages. I mean, there's definitely some harder subjects, but it's all in a kind of lens of a little lighter and a little, you know, realizing that we're all, we're all kind of doing the best we can every day. And he also focuses on community, I think, in that one, the importance of family and community and that family isn't necessarily going to be blood family, but who you choose to be family. Yes, that's such a great way to put it. I, I love that. I love that. I love those kind of stories. Well, my next one is nonfiction. It's Come Fly the World by Julia Cook. And she, her father worked for Pan Am for most of her life. And so she was at some kind of conference for Pan Am stewardesses. And that's what they were called in the 1970s. So she stays with that language and learned all about these women who had been stewardesses. It's hard for me to not say flight attendant who had been stewardesses in the 1970s. And she was so impressed with their poise and how they talked about events that they lived through, political events, just the the different countries that they had spent time in. So she started talking to some of them and ended up doing this sort of history of Pan Am and stewardesses. And it is truly fascinating. We flew Pan Am a lot growing up because I lived in Rio. And so when Pan Am was in business, they only flew internationally. And so we would always fly from Houston to Miami. Um, I think it was like Continental at the time. And then we'd fly Pan Am from Miami to Rio. And so I spent a lot of time on Pan Am. So that kind of appealed to me initially. But then I also was just curious about her premise, because I think sometimes flight attendants today, stewardesses then, get a bad rap and kind of go against the feminist movement and aren't really viewed as always intellectual and forethinking. And she totally disproves those stereotypes. And so It was just very interesting, the hijackings that occurred and how they had to deal with it, all the effort that Pan Am helped with with the Vietnam War. So it was just a truly intriguing read and certainly a great book club selection. Okay. Okay. You know, I saw that the other day and I I think we've talked before. I don't tend to read a lot of nonfiction. That's actually something I'm trying to do more this year. But I saw that and I was like, oh, that sounds really, really interesting. So I can see, again, another 
really great discussion with that. So, uh, okay, I'll have to check that out for sure. It has the most amazing cover. So I think it's catching everybody's eye, you know, because that cover is just stellar. My reading has changed a lot during the pandemic, and I have definitely been reading more nonfiction than I normally do. And I also think there's just been a lot of really great women's stories coming out in the nonfiction world. And so I've just ended up reading a bunch more of them than I normally do. But I highly, highly recommend this one. Okay. Okay, great. Okay, so my next one, in a way, there's you don't really need an introduction, but you do need an introduction, is uh, A Promised Land by President Barack Obama. And uh, it's a very, very long book. I think it was, oh gosh, maybe 700 pages. And it covers his first term. So he's going to be writing a second one. So it's a very lengthy book dedicated just to the first term. But I, I knew, of course, I wanted to read it. And I was a little on the fence if I thought it was going to be a book club pick just because of how lengthy it is. But it is just so well done. And he is just so honest and frank. I mean, I was a little surprised with some elements where he was pretty honest. I mean, where he's talking about running against Hillary Clinton and how that was a pretty uh, messy, <laughs> messy primary. And also just talking about trying to pass health care and with working, trying to work with the Republicans. And then they're kind of Anyway, that whole thing, you know, so, you know, remembering everything that happened with the with his first term. Um, so I, I was just so, so impressed with how honest he was. And even though I, I follow politics closely, I felt I really learned a lot from it. And so that was probably one of the hardest book club questions I've ever put together, mainly because it was so lengthy. And I, I did it by sections. And anyway, it's one that I have, I have seen traffic and people are reading it. And I do encourage um, anyone who's interested in President Obama's term to, to read it, even though if the link kind of gets you, um, you're, you're going to get engaged with it. And also, you can always do the audiobook with that one. I actually think that could be a really, <laughs> a really great audiobook selection, because obviously, it'll be him narrating his story. So but that's definitely a good one as well. You led me right into what I was going to say, because I have it on Libro FM. And it is on my list to listen to. I, I, I haven't I don't know if I've ever actually listened to an audiobook, to be honest. And I, I thought I could have maybe done the audiobook with this. So anyway, I'm curious what you think about it. I'm not a huge audiobook listener either. I've been trying to do it more when I work out, either when I ride the exercise bike or the elliptical, because that's kind of a good way to pass the time and get a book read while, you know, while I'm doing both at the same time. So not too long ago, I did Shit Actually by Lindy West, which was an absolute hoot where she takes apart, I think it's like 12 or 13 movies and just kind of goes through them and gives them ratings. So that was a perfect one for exercising. But I think this one would be the same way. If I just, you know, every time I'm exercising, keep listening, then I'd make my way through it because it is long. It's so long. It'll take a, it'll take a bit. <laughs> Many exercises. <laughs> no, Mama, I love you, but this was really long. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Well, my next book is The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. And I have to say that this is one of those books where I usually have this, what I kind of call sillily, my spidey sense. And so I will look at a book and I will say, that does not look like a book for me, or that does look like a book for me. And I'm right about 95% of the time only on the ones that are not for me. So, you know, I'll look at it and think, I just don't think I'm going to like that. And if I override that and read it, most of the time I don't. But I think you were the one that told me when you came on, Heather, I'm pretty sure how good the Midnight Library was. So I was like, wow, she really likes it. So I picked it up and I absolutely loved it. I just thought it was such a great book. It's a great pandemic book because the whole idea is that, you know, you sit here and constantly regret things about your life and you wish you'd made one choice instead of another. 
something different had happened than it did. And so this woman who's kind of on the edge, that's the only thing there is definitely a little bit of a trigger warning, a suicide trigger warning, doesn't happen, but it's a potential, is kind of trying to decide about her life. And so she ends up in this place called the Midnight Library with the librarian there. And there's a zillion different books. And every book she picks out is her story with something slightly different. So she lives the first one, goes into the book, lives the first one, comes out and thinks, oh, I wish such and such had been different in that story. So then the next book changes that event and she sees how it domino affects everything else in her life. So I just, I loved that because I am a worrier, a chronic worrier. And it kind of helped me realize like all these things that I worry about either aren't making a bit of a difference to worry or had they been different, something else might've been drastically different too. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that that you enjoyed that one. Yes, I oh, that that's definitely one of my favorites of last year. Um, and yeah, exactly. It, it it really taps into regret and wondering what if. I mean, I think what if it's really such a powerful two words. Wondering, you know, if you took this path, could it have been better or could it have been worse? And um, yeah, I, I think you know, in the end, it's really about you know, accept your reality and where you're at, and there's reason for it. And it's also kind of funny too. I mean, I, I think when I say funny, it's not that you're really laughing <laughs> when you read it, but it kind of kind of has a little bit of humor in it too. Even though there are, as you mentioned, some serious dark themes, and you know, really in the beginning. Um, but I, I just I really like his writing, so I'm so glad you, you enjoyed that one. And that's another really fantastic, yeah, as you mentioned, book club read because there's so much to talk about with it. So we go from a, a more lighter book to a very heavy book that I read during the pandemic. I guess we're still in the midst of the pandemic. Um, so Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. Oh my gosh. So this book scared me. And I, <laughs> it's, uh, so try and describe how, how, what this book's about. I mean, it's, it, it starts off just your typical summer vacation where this family goes to this, I believe it's an Airbnb and everything seems normal. Just. And then all of a sudden, the people who own the Airbnb come to the house and say that all the power's gone out in New York. And from there, things just get worse and worse. And you don't really know exactly what's happening. You know that there's something bad happening outside of the house, but you're not exactly sure. And you get kind of hints of it. And it, it definitely was where, um, I mean, I think I read this where it was in the summer and you know things were kind of obviously it's still scary with COVID, but there was, we didn't know when the vaccine was going to come out. It just kind of seemed, we don't know when we're going to ever get out of the situation with COVID. And so I remember reading in the summer thinking, well, it could be worse (laughs) because this is a really scary situation in the book. But beyond just thinking, okay, you read this book thinking that the COVID situation could have been worse. And beyond that, it's more about how people react to what they can't control. So it's, all this is happening outside and they don't know what to do. And it kind of brings out people's bad nature and also brings out people's good nature as well. Um, it was just a very interesting, unique book. And I thought that it's something that if someone wants to read a little more kind of scarier book with their book club, it's kind of one to do, um, especially in relation to what we've all experienced with the pandemic. Yes, I have seen that book everywhere, but it is definitely way too creepy for me. Well, my last one is Wandering in Strange Lands, A Daughter of the Great Migration Reclaims Her Roots by Morgan Jerkins. It is another nonfiction book. And the premise on this one is what caught my attention. So Morgan was looking at her family and thinking about how they don't have as many family traditions as other families did and as much of a tie to their home. So she kind of started thinking about the Great Migration, which both sides of her family had participated in. And the fact that that might have been a disconnect from their original roots. 
So she goes back to where the families began and then traces their migratory routes. It is absolutely fascinating. She interviews people both in the South where they started out and then where the different families landed and family members and why they maybe got rid of certain traditions or certain foods. She spends a fair amount of time on food. And I just thought it was absolutely fascinating. And certainly in the last year where we've been thinking about Black Lives Matter and history and the way Black people have historically been treated, this was just sort of another sad portion of that. But it was very interesting. Her premise and the way she followed it through were just fascinating. Okay, wow. Okay, I will definitely add that to the list. I was not familiar with it. So that sounds really interesting. And she has a fiction book coming out in April called Call Baby, C-A-U-L. And it's got a stunning cover. So I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Oh, okay. Okay, that's good to know. So that wraps up our 10 book club selections. And we will have an article that comes out the same day as this podcast. But now we thought we would just kind of talk about some books we've recently read and really loved. That's always the super fun part of my episodes, I think, is hearing what other people have read and liked. Do you want to start out with the things you've read recently that you really recommend? Yeah, of course. So I I got a, a an ARC of Taylor Jenkins Reid's latest novel, Malibu Rising, which I believe now comes out in June. And I I love all her books from the beginnings that she kind of was a little more kind of more women's fiction contemporary to now where she gets into, I guess, kind of historical fiction, um, and but kind of in, in a different way. And anyway, when I read the synopsis for Malibu Rising, it's about the children of a, a famous rock star. And one of the daughters throws a party and just a lot happens in the, par- in the party. I thought, I don't know, like, I love Taylor Jenkins Reid, but is this going to be a little too superficial? Am I going to be disappointed? Because I love Daisy Jones. I loved Evelyn Hugo, um, some of my favorite books. But of course, I should never doubt Taylor Jenkins Reid because it has a lot more going on. It's very impactful. Um, it goes from the present day of the party, which is taking place in the 80s in Malibu. So I guess not really <laughs> present day. But um, so you have the 80s party and then you have it goes back to when the parents met and it kind of documents their relationship, their really volatile relationship. And uh, it's just really, really well done. And I haven't read a lot of sibling stories where the siblings get along. <laughs> a lot of times I feel these sibling stories are there's a lot of competition or there's just a lot of kind of messed up things. And so I did like that the siblings were all kind of on the same team. So I, that, I think that's something that everyone should definitely put on their list. And again, never doubt Taylor Jenkins Reid. Even if you think it sounds superficial, it's, it's very, very well done. And it's not superficial. <laughs> I'm really excited for that one. Daisy Jones was one of my favorite books the year it came out. So I'm looking forward to Malibu Rising. Mm-hmm. Well, my first one is Shiver by Ali Reynolds, and it is a debut and it takes place in the Swiss Alps. I was laughing because once one story is set someplace, it seems like everything else is set in the same place. And I have just recently read the sanatorium and it was set in the Swiss Alps. So I, that must be the place du jour. But For Shiver, these snowboarders 10 years before had been in this location and there had been a death and some other drama that had happened. And so they reunite to come back for a reunion of sorts and everything goes awry. So it's a closed circle mystery, not a locked room because they're not all in the same room the whole time, but a closed circle where there's only the defined characters that are present. Slowly, different things are unfolding that you're learning about trying to figure out who's causing the drama, what happened in the past. And I just thought it was so, so well done. 
Okay, another one to add to the list. So good. <laughs> like I said, good to know. My TBR always grows after after chatting with you. My next one was four wins, which we've already discussed. But again, just to harp on that, this this is one of, I think it's going to be probably one of my favorite books of the year. So I just can't talk about this one, this one enough. My next one is The Rose Code by Kate Quinn. And this is actually the first book I've read by Kate Quinn. And it takes place at Bletchley Park with three women who were fast friends in the early days as code breakers at Bletchley Park, and then something happens to splinter their friendship. It goes back and forth in time between the early years at Bletchley Park and then the eve of Princess Elizabeth's wedding, which I think was 1947. So it's so well done. It's it's a big book, but it doesn't feel long. And all of her research and all of the detail about Bletchley Park is just fascinating. Perfect. And then, uh, so my next one is The Kindest Lie by Nancy Johnson. It's another one that I, I put on my book club list, and uh, I, I hope that everyone just reads this one. Very, It's a quiet novel, but it's an impactful novel. It's set during 2008, so it was after President Obama gets elected, but also dealing with the horrible Great Recession. And it follows a woman who gave up her child when she she had him when she was a teenager and she hadn't told her husband about that situation and it, it, it comes up and so it's about her going back to her hometown to find out what happened with her son if he's still there and also just kind of reconnecting with this town that's been completely impacted by the recession it's one of those kind of factory manufacturing towns in the midwest that factory shuts down and uh, there's a lot of poverty there. And so it deals with that and also deals with race relations and class. And um, again, it's just a, a quiet novel, but I thought it was very impactful. And it's kind of one of those to say, if you liked this novel, so if you like The Vanishing Half, I think you'd like The Kindest Lie. And so I, I, I really recommend that one as well. My literary salon actually hosted her and Julie Carrick Dalton and they're very close friends. We just hosted them maybe two weeks ago, and the video is actually on YouTube under our Conversations from a Page account. But it was just such a delightful salon. It was so fun to see the two of them interact. But I just thought that was a very, very thought-provoking book. And it was so interesting when I was looking through your list because you had Barack Obama's book, and then you have her book, which starts right at the dawning of his prior to being elected and then, then right after he's elected. So I thought that was kind of interesting. They sort of tie together. Yeah, yeah, definitely about the the impact of his his election, and then of course going into dealing with the Great Recession too. And I hadn't read any fiction that's covered the Great Recession, so I it's one of those where I mean, gosh, that's still so vivid <laughs> of, of everything that, that we all had to go through with that. Yeah, this is a really good one. I also check out that YouTube video uh, of the discussion, so that that sounds really neat. It was. It was really entertaining. Well, my next one is another nonfiction. It's called The Barbizon, the Hotel That Set Women Free. So I love New York City. I love all the historic buildings, the history. I loved The Dollhouse by Fiona Davis, which was about the Barbizon, but it's historical fiction. So it was so interesting to see this nonfiction look at the Barbizon, sort of the most iconic hotel for women that was in New York City and all of the famous people that came out of it. But also she backs up and she sort of starts for how the Barbizon and these other hotels got going the history of women are sort of intertwined with the history of these hotels, particularly the Barbizon. So it was just, again, another page turner, much more narrative nonfiction than a sort of textbook nonfiction. But I just thought it was so well done and just such a fascinating story and, you know, a great one for, for women who are wanting to know about other empowering women's stories. Oh, 
this one's so good. And I, I love what you said about narrative nonfiction because there is, there is nonfiction that can be kind of dry. So I love when it's a, it sounds like a page turner like that. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really expanding my nonfiction TBR with you, which is good. <laughs> which hasn't always been the case for me. It's so funny. But it just seems like, I guess, maybe just between the pandemic and needing that kind of read and then just the number of great books that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, you know, focusing on women's stories. So it's great. And it makes sense, too, you know, with both of us, how we love historical fiction. And a lot of times it, it is a true story wrapped into this fiction narrative of something that happened in the past. So it makes sense to kind of make that leap to nonfiction. And so I think I'm slowly kind of getting there. I think I just got kind of burned out on a couple nonfiction that were a little dry, you know, years ago. And so it sounds like genres really, really become strong with the narrative style. And like you said, not so much textbook, like you're reading something for class. (laughs) I agree completely. Great. Okay. So my next one is uh, The Mystery of Mrs. Christie by Marie Benedict. And this is one where I had no idea that this happened, where Agatha Christie, you know, the famed mystery author, disappeared for, I, I believe it was several days. In the, and I, again, I believe it's in the 20s. Hopefully I'm getting all this <laughs> correct. And no one really knows what happened to her. And so Marie Benedict decided to take a fictional look about what happened. And um, it's really, really well, well done. And I had no idea where it was going to go. Again, did not know that that even had happened. So that, you know, one of the greatest mystery writers had her own mystery, you know, real life mystery. And so I did so much research after it. I just, I was so fascinated by it. And I, and I thought Marie Benedict took a really clever approach to it. And so I don't really want to give too much away with it, but it, it was very, very interesting. So um, that's, that's another one that I highly recommend. Well, I did know that she had gone missing because I work at a mystery bookstore. And so, you know, that's one of the things that people have talked about. And there are other stories that don't really take that full on, but, you know, address it in some of their stories. So I was completely intrigued when I saw that she was writing about it. And I will say it took me a little bit to get into it because the writing style on this one is a little different. So I kind of felt like when I started, I'm like, what is happening? But once I got going, I loved it. I thought it was a great book. Oh, that's such a good point. Yes, I forgot about that. It is a little confusing in the beginning. Yeah, it's like you said, it's one of those, you know, stick with it and you'll be happy that you do because it's, it's so, so interesting what she went, the way she went with it. I agree. And my next one is also historical fiction. And it's a book that I feel like I have just been championing far and wide. One of my very favorite books of last year, The Chanel Sisters by Judith Little. And lots has been written about Chanel, but not very much has been written about Chanel's early years or about her sister, Antoinette. Judy tackles in historical fiction Chanel's early years, her early family years, then how she ended up in a convent and then at a pensionat school. And then when she and her sister, which a lot of people don't realize that they really started the business together, that Antoinette had a role in the business for a while and then eventually left Paris and Coco continued on her own. But I just thought it was so well-written, so fascinating. It's actually another great book club selection. We did it for my Literary Salon book club selection and probably had the longest and most in-depth conversation we've had. But I just think it's a stellar book, and I have been telling every single person I know to read it. Oh, great. I have that one, actually. Um, I got an, an ARC, so okay, I need, I need to read that. <laughs> you just completely convinced me. You do. It's one of the, <laughs> you know, you get in the mail and you're like, okay, I'll get to it eventually. But now it's, okay, that's going to move, <laughs> move up on the list. So perfect. And um, so again, I'm being a little bit repetitive, but another recent read, The Book of Lost Names by Kristen Harmel, we've talked about it. But uh, it's just, again, a really fantastic historical fiction novel. And 
we both love historical fiction, but when there's ones that really stand out, they really do just stick with you. And so that, that's one that I, I really hope people, people check that out because it is so well done. Well, and I think there have been so many World War II stories and some people feel like I just don't want to read about World War II anymore or there's nothing else to be told. And there definitely are a thousand and ten more stories still to be told. Yes, I, I feel the same way. I don't get tired of it either. I mean, I do like when I, I sometimes do historical fiction that doesn't cover it, but honestly, it's still my favorite. Every time I go to a World War II one, I always just, yeah, for the most part, I'm always just going to enjoy it because I feel you do learn something new with it. And like you said, there's just so many stories still to be told with it. And I, again, as we mentioned, that one was very, very unique. And I had no, no idea that even had happened. You know, it's not something we get taught in class or anything like that. So I, I really always appreciate these stories that, that really teach you something new. I agree completely. That's what I like so much about historical fiction. Well, my last one on our favorite recent reads is Winter Counts by David Heska Wombly Wyden. This book features Virgil Wounded Horse, who lives on the Lakota Reservation in South Dakota. And he is a vigilante of sorts. And he solves mysteries and crimes or takes care of them for people who the law is not protecting. Wyden goes into a lot of this in the story, explaining that the U.S. federal government covers a lot of the system. The federal system governs crimes on the reservation, but a lot of times they just don't step in to take care of anything. So there's a lot of bad crime. I mean, murders, rapes, you know, assaults that are happening and no one's enforcing it. So these vigilante type characters instead end up taking care of some of these things on their own so that there is some sort of justice. So it's the start of a series, super well done. He's an own voices writer, includes all sorts of fascinating details about the reservation and being a Lakota. And I just can't recommend it enough. And I'm already excited for the next one in the series. Okay, that sounds interesting. That wraps up all of our books we really loved. So I thought today we would talk a little bit about books that didn't resonate as well with us. Now, I will definitely say that I think that reading is so individualized. So just because I don't like a book doesn't mean I think somebody else shouldn't like a book. And I'm sure, Heather, you feel the same way. But we were just going to talk about some books that we read that we didn't really like quite as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, very very good point. And I think it's always good to discuss what you don't like as much as it's good to discuss what you do like. Because, you know, as you mentioned, you know, it might not be for us, but it could be for someone else. And still, it's just, it's good to be, you know, to have this opinion of I do like this book and I don't like this book because you can't like everything you read, <laughs> you know, in the end. so. Anyway, for, for me to start off with, so I mentioned in our last discussion that I, I really follow the celebrity book clubs. And so um, one that I pretty much read every month is what Reese Witherspoon picks. And so for her March selection, she chose Infinite Country by Patricia Engel. And I, I don't know if it's because I have a four recall at home, but I could not get into this book for the longest time. It's not very long. I think it's maybe 200 and something pages. But I just, it wasn't keeping my interest. I did read it all the way through. And it actually has a really fantastic ending that made me think maybe I was just not reading it at the right time because I did think the ending was was really strong. But it was just, it, it tackles the immigration. And it's about this couple from Colombia that come over to the US and have children here. And then uh, the husband ends up getting deported back to Colombia. And it's a, really about being caught between two different countries. And I don't know, I don't know what it was with me with the writing, maybe I I wasn't drawing me in. But it's one of those where I thought it would be one I would love. And I just, I didn't. But again, I like the ending. (laughs) So I'm a little (laughs) conflicted. I won't say that I disliked it. But it just wasn't again, I think saying it didn't resonate with me is a really good way to put it. You know, I, I recognize that it was a good story. 
and a probably important story too, but it just, again, the writing didn't really draw me in at first until really the end. It didn't sound very good to me up front. So like I said earlier, I usually have a pretty good sense if, I, if I'm going to like it or not. So if it doesn't sound good, I usually just don't pick it up. And the other thing I will say is that I put down so many books. I probably put down one in four of the books I pick up. Like I just DNF them because I'm not liking them. They're not drawing me in. And my TBR pile is so incredibly large that I just don't want to waste time reading things that don't appeal to me. So today I didn't pick any of those because I feel like it's harder to judge a book if I didn't finish it. Like you were just saying, you loved the ending. So I only picked the five that I didn't love them. I powered through to the very end. (laughs) So the first one for me is The Seven and a Half Lives of Evelyn Harcastle by Stuart Turton. This book had all of the hallmarks of one that I would normally love. So I picked it up and I, I read it a while ago, but the concept is that there is a murder on a property and they're trying to figure out who did it. And so this one person inhabits seven different characters within the same party trying to get to the bottom of who was murdered. And so the jumping around in time, I didn't think would bother me, but after a while, toward the end, there was so much jumping that I'm like, oh my gosh. First, I was like, where are we? And second of all, I was like, oh, I don't even care. I just want it to be done. So I think the premise was good. And I think if it had wrapped up sooner, I probably would have really liked it. But I just felt like it was endless. Yeah, I read that one a couple years ago. And it's, it's, it's an odd one, <laughs> for sure. It's one that not an easy read, because as you mentioned, how it jumps around. And it's definitely an interesting concept. But Sometimes they're just ones that are just kind of a struggle to read because they almost make it a little too complicated. And you just, you know what I mean, with narrative and, and everything where you're kind of like, oh, I get what you're trying to do. But I also would like more of a consistent flow where I'm not having to flip back and forth between the pages and be like, OK, where, where were we in the story and where are we where are we now? So, right. And who are all these people? Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. Not to give any, I feel like the reveal was just it was just an odd story, you know, like, yes, for sure. You didn't feel rewarded by kind of going through all this work to read this. And, you know, anyway, yeah. So that one's kind of interesting. I agree with that. Because I think sometimes you do get to the end and you're like, okay, well, because I wanted to know what happened. And then when they figured out what happened, I was like, I read all the way to the end for that. But that's okay. That does happen. No, for sure. For sure. So um, one that, again, did not resonate with me. And as much as I love historical fiction, Paris Library by Janet, I hope I don't mispronounce her middle name, uh, Gelt Silson, Charles. So I, I picked it up because I saw it was on New York Times bestsellers and don't always see historical fiction on that. So I thought, oh, wow, this is great to see historical fiction. I'll, I'm excited for it. And a lot of times historical fiction has the two timelines where you have in the past and then also maybe not so much in the present, but just more more recent. So this one takes place in World War II in Paris and then also the 80s in Montana, I believe. And I did not care for the 80s Montana timeline at all. I, I just, it just didn't really work for me and how it connected to the past. I thought it was just kind of loose. Now, the historical fiction component of it in Paris during World War II, and it follows this American library and the librarians. And a lot of it's about the importance of reading, even especially during the war and everything, how they were bringing books to soldiers and such. So that part was interesting, but I think just the dual timeline just didn't work for me on this one. So again, like I, I read the whole thing and I liked elements of it, but the Montana section just didn't, I wish it was just, it all connected better, if that makes sense. Because to me, if you're going to have the dual timeline, you have to have a better connection. Because if not, then it kind of just seems a little pointless just to be, okay, we're going to follow this character when they're in their 70s 
and that's it. You, you know, I mean, there wasn't really a lot of connection to the past. I DNF'd that one. And I actually tried three different times because a friend of mine swore that I was going to love it. She's like, I just love this one. And I kept picking it up. And I just, I didn't like the characters. I agree with you. I didn't like the 1980s timeline at all. But I didn't even really like the American Library timeline either. So it just wasn't the right book for me. So my next one is Marion Lane and the Midnight Murder by T.A. Wilbur. So the premise of this one, again, sounded so intriguing to me. London, this underground spy network that gets recruited covertly. But again, it just, for me, I could never get drawn in and it went on way too long. I did finish it because I wanted to see where it went, but it just wasn't the book for me. Yeah, the length can really get to you on these books. They, they get to me sometimes. I'll actually be talking about that with the one I have upcoming. But anyway, so my, my next one. So it's Good Neighbors by Sarah Lang- Langan. And it was pitched as a uh, similar to Little Fires Everywhere, a book that I really enjoyed. And this one is just so dark and really doesn't get out of being dark. It was pitched as uh, dark humor, so kind of comedic. And I did not see any humor with it. I just did not feel good after reading it. It, it, So it it just follows this neighborhood and um, the East Coast and these just these new neighbors move in and they don't fit in. And this one neighbor acts like she befriends them. But then I I don't know. I mean, it's just even the concept too, it's just not really great. And there's just a lot going on. And then there's not that much going on. And again, it's just a very dark story about you just don't really like any of the characters. And anyway, so I just I finished it, but I I really didn't love it. Well, and that's where there's a definite disconnect in the cover and the story, something that I talk a lot about on my author interviews, because I was pitched that book and I did take it, but then I kept seeing the same thing you're describing and review after review. So I haven't read it, but the cover does not look grim. I mean, it's like pastel colors and it definitely looks like it could be humorous and, you know, kind of in that vein. But after I kept hearing how dark it was, I was like, yeah, I'll pass. Yeah, good choice. (laughs) So my next one is The Night Swim by Megan Golden, which I know was a very popular book for people. But I struggle with thrillers that are unrealistic and mysteries that I can predict from the beginning. So pretty early on, I felt like this was a very easy to figure out what was going on. And I was able to figure out who the bad guy was and what was going on. And then I also just felt like without being a spoiler, the resolution to two different storylines were effectively the same thing. And I just felt that was unrealistic and a little silly. And I just was annoyed by the time I was done with that book. Oh, I hate that when you feel annoyed. You know, it's just one of those like, oh, I spent that time and this is what happened. That's mystery thrillers. We talk about this. <laughs> they, can be, they can be tough. They can be tough. So when you find a good one, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, the golden opportunity or something because uh, anyway, yeah. That's how I was with Shiver because, you know, so many times you pick up a book and it starts so promisingly and you're like, oh, this is great. And then you get to the end and you're like, that is the silliest ending. And I felt like that shiver, the ending was amazing. It worked. I mean, the person wasn't, you know, parachuting in that we had never laid eyes on before, but it also made sense. So I agree with you. The the thrillers can just have some hiccups along the way. And that was definitely the night swim for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one too. That's another one I didn't feel great after reading it. So my next one, which is, I was thinking this is kind of funny that I'm going on and on about Kristen Hanna's The Four Winds, but I, I read an older novel of hers, Firefly Lane. I keep saying Firefighter Lane for some reason, but anyway, Firefly Lane. And they made a Netflix series out of it. And again, I saw it, it was on the bestsellers list. So I thought, okay, I'll check it out. I, you know, I love Kristen Hanna. And so the length, it's way too long for the kind of story it is. It's a pretty basic story about 
these best friends. One is kind of the the star where she just gets all this attention and her best friend's kind of in her shadow. And I just thought it was, again, was kind of a basic story of that. I feel we've seen that a lot about the, the you know superstar friend with the kind of, you know, the, the best friend that doesn't get all the attention and it's, it's long. It kind of goes in all these random directions. It goes throughout the decades and I, you know, I just wasn't really, wasn't really feeling it. And um, I didn't really love the ending, although it made me cry, of course. So it's funny I say that because I was still, I was still somehow connected to the story because it still, still made me cry. And I watched the Netflix series actually, and it's so different from the book. So I thought that was kind of odd that they went in such a different direction. But there were some elements in the show I thought were better than the book. And what was funny is that with the decades in the book, they spend a lot of time when they're in high school in the 70s. And I just didn't really I just didn't really like reading about that. But in the series, I thought that was actually a lot stronger than some of the other decades they covered. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I just, to me, I love Kristen Hannah's historical fiction. I'm not sure her more contemporary novels, maybe they're just not really for me. But yeah, that that was kind of a kind of a dud. I haven't read any of her contemporary novels, so I can't really speak to that. But I do think that the historical fiction of hers appealed to me more. Mm-hmm. So my next is The Unraveling of Cassidy Holmes by Alyssa Sloan. It's a debut that was billed as kind of a Daisy Jones type story. So as I mentioned earlier, I love, love, love Daisy Jones. I still recommend it to people all the time if they haven't read it. But this one was way darker and I just didn't expect it to be so dark and I didn't really like the characters. I couldn't relate to any of them. I didn't like the way they treated each other. So I just felt like it wasn't like Daisy Jones and it just wasn't a very likable story for me. It's really hard when they do the comparison because you get your expectations set up and then when it's not really similar, kind of, I feel like with Good Neighbors, you know, that, that was kind of the same way with Little Fires Everywhere. I just didn't really, anyway, but yeah, I mean, it kind of just sets you up where you're thinking, oh, I mean, this wasn't really similar. Yeah. You know, with that one, I, I remember it's also uh, musicians. It's like, well, just because it's about musicians doesn't mean it's all going to be in the same realm. But yeah, so so my next one, again, I follow Reese's Picks, and I guess I just have not really connected with her recent one. So Outlawed, I think it was her January pick by Anna North. Oh, gosh, this is probably out of all the ones I read where I almost just did not finish. I'm surprised I even finished it. It sounds like such a good concept about it, it, it's not really it's not historical fiction because it's a little more fantasy esque about the Wild West. There's also a blue pandemic in the story too um but it's a fictional one it's not based off the 1912 one or anything and uh, i don't know it was pitched as like very feminist progressive and i don't know i just i did not connect with any of the characters you think it would be the wild west and this like group of women that are outlaws it sounds so good but the writing did not really get me draw me in and i again felt that the character development was really light for something that you think would have been really creative and unique so was not a fan. And I'm actually surprised I even finished that one. I think I just finished it because I, I was probably halfway through and I thought, all right, might as well see where it's going. And then it's one of those you think, okay, that's where it went. Great. <laughs> not, 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 not for me. Uh, yeah, I should have not finished that one. Uh, well, that's so interesting that you mentioned that about the historical fiction, because that book has been showing up on historical fiction lists with a couple of others that I agree with you aren't historical fiction, you know, like they've got these fantasy elements to them, or I don't know what what it is exactly. But to me, historical fiction is fiction, realistic fiction that is set in the past. And so some of these stories that diverge into fantasy or whatever else it is, aren't really historical fiction. And so it's funny to me that they keep getting put on lists. 
Yeah, exactly. So I didn't know it was going to be this kind of alt history. Yeah, I guess that's, that's how they phrase it, you know, uh, of the Wild West. So I think that to me threw me off because I was reading about it. I'm like, are they talking about the 1912 flu? And then I realized, oh, this is like a whole other, you know, universe. This isn't, you know, supposed to be historical fiction. So yeah, that, that was kind of misleading there with, with the promotion. Yeah, I want to respond on this list and be like, the, those two titles aren't historical fiction. <laughs> <laughs> well, my last one is Eight Perfect Murders by Peter Swanson. So this story follows a bookseller and he's hearing about these murders that are taking place. I can't remember where it's set, maybe London. And each murder that's happening is following a murder from an actual mystery book. And so he's trying to figure out what's happening and who's committing the murders. And I loved the eight different books in there and the murder aspect of it. But like literally from about page 10, I was like, I know exactly where this is going. And the bookseller is pretty unlikable. And it was just super easy to see where it was going. And again, I think I should not have finished it because, you know, it went exactly where I thought it was going to. So it was one of those that sounded so good, but didn't play out. I hope you've enjoyed this different episode with Heather Caliendo of Book Club Chat. We really had a great time talking about book club recommendations, books we've read recently and really liked, and books we maybe didn't like quite so much. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. If you enjoy this podcast, I have another podcast that I think you will also enjoy. In The Best of Women's Fiction, author Lainey Cameron talks to best-selling fiction authors about where they found their story inspiration. I love that she asks authors not only what they have read and loved, but also what is on their TBRs. I find so many great new books that way. Best of Women's Fiction podcast can be found on all major platforms. And I interviewed Lainey in the fall, so check out my episode with her as well. Thanks, and I hope you'll tune in next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.